0: before we start a new sermon series, uh, God willing, next Sunday evening. And uh, we're going to be thinking this evening about the danger of familiarity. Now, to get us going this evening, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with the saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. The logic of the saying is simple. The better we know people the more likely we are to find fault with them. When you get to know someone very well, spend a lot of time with them, you can very quickly stop respecting them. The more you know, the easier it is to find things you dislike. In our passage this evening, we have an example of familiarity breeds contempt. Jesus visits his hometown of Nazareth, He visits the people who know him best, humanly speaking. And what we're going to see in this passage is they have nothing but contempt. We'll look at this passage in, in, in two halves, verses 1 through 3, Jesus' hometown response. And then verses 4 through 6, Jesus' response to his hometown. Jesus' hometown response. And then Jesus' response to his hometown. Look at verse 1. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. At first, everything seems rather normal. Jesus is continuing in his ministry. He's just been doing many miracles in chapters 4 and 5. He has cast out demons from legion. He's healed the woman with a constant flow of blood. He's told the storm to be calm. Well now he he comes home. He's got his disciples following him. They'll play no unique role in this account. But I suspect that what happens here deeply impacted them and my present will deeply impact us. You know, it's like when you you go home, if you've been away for a while, you see familiar faces, you have those familiar smells, familiar sights, familiar surroundings. Nothing beats mum's cooking. Oh, Jesus comes home. Home for him was Nazareth, that, that little backwater village. The scholars tell us that it probably had... A population of 500 people so when Jesus went home it was an intimate affair most likely he knew everyone in his village in some way or another was related to many of them and so this account opens with Jesus among the people who he knew and who knew him look at what verse 2 tells us on the sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished so far so normal jesus comes home jesus starts preaching people are astonished amazed now, now think about this this is the synagogue he grew up in ever since he was a little boy he had attended the synagogue he knew the pews he'd run around it many a time He knew all the people. There in his hometown synagogue could be his family, his brothers, his sisters, his mother. There were his school teachers. There were his Sabbath school teachers. There were his neighbors, his former colleagues when he worked as a carpenter. Jesus comes home and he begins to teach them in the synagogue. Now You can imagine the open-mouth amazement as they heard Jesus open up the scriptures. Some of the Sabbath school teachers must have been totally blown away. I taught him the scriptures and now he is unpacking them with an authority that I've never seen before. What a poignant occasion it must have been for his mom and brothers to listen to Jesus handling the word. It seems that the people also were very aware that as Jesus was teaching in the synagogue that with his hands he could touch the sick and heal them. If you'd ever bought anything from Jesus' carpentry shop or if he'd ever performed any uh, fix-up in your home, you must be truly amazed. (laughs) Them hands that made my dining table, that fixed my door, now have the power to heal can picture them sitting there in complete and utter astonishment but just before you you feel things are comfortable the mood and the atmosphere in the synagogue begins to change You see questions start to rise in people's minds, L- look at verses 2 through 3 where did this man get these things? what is the wisdom given to him? how are such mighty works done by his hands? is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So one minute it's admiration, amazement, astonishment. Next minute it's outright suspicion, hostility. Now as we listen to the flurry of these questions, we get an insight into what the people were thinking. They can't believe that Jesus, the The mere carpenter knows what he now knows. Like Jesus never followed a famous rabbi. So where did he get this ability to teach? He never went to university. Now he built our garden gazebo. He made our dining table. And now he can preach and teach like this. See when they say is this not Mary's son it's a real sting in that because in Jewish culture you'd never refer to someone by their mother you'd always refer to someone by their father they should have said is this not Joseph's son but do you know why they say is this not Mary's son They're making reference to the fi- fact that there was doubt over Jesus' beginnings Who was Jesus' dad? Mary and Joseph were not even married when she fell pregnant. Clearly in this small village of Nazareth, the rumors lived on and lingered long in the minds of the people. And then they say, don't we know his sisters and his brothers? And as all these questions come in their minds, all of it saying that, They bought into the broader perception that everyone had in Israel of Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Answer, no. And Mark gives us their conclusion. Look at what he says. He says, they took offense at him. You know that word offense? It's where we actually get our English word scandal. They were scandalized by listening to him looking on at him deep down they felt hostility towards him J.C. Ryle the old commentator notes this it is an awful truth that in religion more than in anything else familiarity breeds contempt Do you know why they had no time for Jesus Do you know why they felt such contempt to Jesus Because they were blinded by his ordinariness. They were blinded to who he was. The son of God. The Messiah. No. Mary's son. The carpenter. The boy that I grew up with in Sunday school. The boy I used to play with. Brothers and sisters, you need to know the great scandal of Christianity has always been and will always be Jesus. The great scandal of Christianity is Jesus. And the striking thing is we Christians, because of our familiarity, can find it really easy to reduce Jesus to, no- to nobody, to nothing. How so? Why is it that in our culture many people have no issue, no truck whatsoever taking his name in vain? Why is it that people will get tattoos of crosses, they'll get Bible verses, they'll sing, rap, write songs about Jesus, make movies about Jesus, all the while failing to appreciate who He truly is. You know, when I was a young Christian, I used to post quotes on my Facebook, and one time John Piper had written in a line in a book eternity is a long time to regret a wasted life one of my best friends from school saw it came to me a few weeks later said Andy you see my new tattoo eternity is a long time to regret a wasted life book of John (laughs) at the say it wasn't From the book of John in the Bible It was from a guy called John Piper In a book that I'd read By him Hmm. Problem is he didn't understand What he'd just put in his arm Eternity is a long time to regret A wasted life if you don't know Jesus You know one of the striking things about the culture we live in And the country we live in You can go anywhere in London And you'll nearly find a church in every street corner You'll walk by hospitals, you'll walk by schools, you'll walk by educational institutions, and if you read them and if you look at them closely, you will see the fingerprints of Christianity. Our laws of our land were once founded from from a Christian worldview. Read Tom Holland's book, Dominion. Christianity has so impacted Britain, the West, in, in unbelievable ways. But here's one of the struggles. That when Christianity exists in a culture formed by Christianity, Christianity can so quickly just become cultural. You ever wondered why the churches that we walk past so often are being uh, turned into flats, apartments, shops, nightclubs, why the churches that used to be so full are now so empty. Ever wondered why? There's multiple reasons why, but let me hazard one guess. Nominal Christianity. People who became too familiar with Jesus. People who didn't allow the demands of who Jesus is speak into their lives. Now, we live in a culture, right? And it might not strike you as odd, but it is odd that at Christmas time you can hear In the background, as you shop, songs about the incarnation, God becoming man, and think nothing about it. You live in a culture where at Easter time, you walk into the shops and you'll see a whole row and it'll say Easter section. And it's trying to communicate something of the Christian holiday and it's Easter eggs and bunnies. When Jesus' demands is this, because of what he's done in his life, death, and resurrection, he calls people to repent and bow down. Not to become comfortable and familiar. There is nothing I would hazard to say to you more dangerous than nominal Christianity. Nominal Christians get bored of Jesus really quickly. So we looked at Jesus' We looked at Jesus' hometown response. Now let's look at Jesus' response to his hometown. Look at verses 4 through 6. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Now, if I were to ask you this question, where's the hardest place for you as a Christian to live out your faith? I bet you bet you know it's not your workplace, it's not among your non-Christian friends it's when you're at your home with your family with the people who know you best the people who know the real you, all your faults and all your failings Jesus here says a prophet is not without honour except when they're among the people who know them best You know, the tragedy is here. These people didn't know him. They thought they knew him. But they were blind to who he truly was. They were deaf to his teaching. We don't know what Jesus taught that day in the synagogue. But if you read Mark uh, Luke's gospel, when Jesus was last in his hometown synagogue, he was handed the scroll of Isaiah and he read it and he said, all of this is fulfilled in me. Now, now, this is where we get to the sobering, solemn response of Jesus to his hometown. Verse 5. He could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. This passage began with the open-mouthed astonishment of the people as they heard Jesus preach. This passage now ends with Jesus' open mouth astonishment at the people's unbelief and rejection. And if you drill down deep in this passage, here's what's so sobering and so solemn. What can tame Jesus' power? He stared demons in the face and he did not back down and he cast them out of a man. He stared a woman who had known a whole, nearly a lifetime of bleeding and he did not back down. He raised a man's daughter from the dead and he did not back down in the face of death. He comes to his hometown and it's the rejection, the familiarity, And the unbelief of the people that restrain them. Now, now, now just so you don't mishear me, Jesus wasn't it? He didn't have the ability. Jesus chose not to do miracles before them. And if you if you were here this morning, you know what we're saying—that miracles were used by Jesus so that he could show people who he was and what he came to do. Jesus opted to stop showing these people who he was because their behavior revealed they didn't care. And you know what he did in judgment? The very final line. He left them. He went about among other villages and started teaching them because the people in his own hometown would not listen to him what is so offensive to jesus so ugly to him that cause him in judgment to leave people patronizing familiarity lukewarmness and the ultimate consequence of this condition is that Jesus moves on to people who will behold His glory and live in response with faith and belief. And the reason I want us to, I wanted us to look at this text is because we're a reformed Christian church. a Church that prides herself in orthodoxy. A church that prides herself in our theology. We love delving deep into the theology of who God is, of who Christ is. We, we know the psalm book, the song book that Jesus sang from. We love the great hymns that unpack the scintillating theology and brilliance of the wonderful mystery of Jesus Christ. And yet you know what our danger is? Familiarity. Nominalism. Unbelief. And do you know what the most terrifying thought is? What if Jesus just left us? What if he just removed his spirit, removed his lampstand, and left us to our own devices? Would we even notice? Would anything be different? And I gotta land a plane and I gotta answer the question, so if if the problem with us as God's people and perhaps people who don't yet believe, if our problem is we might have an over-familiarity with Jesus, what is the solution? Now, this might sound like a contradiction, but it's not. It's a paradox. You need to become familiar with Jesus. <laughs> but when I say that, I mean this Jesus. This Jesus who won't pander, who won't be mocked, who won't be trifled with. This Jesus who will restrain his power in the face of people who deep down just do not want to believe in him. Our... Cure to our familiarity is we need to stare him down until we see him for who he is in all his power and glory. Catechism answers won't suffice. Theological textbook answers will not do. The question that we need to be confronted with this evening is do we know him for who he is? Do we know the one who with a word literally flung the galaxies into existence? Do we know the one who upholds and sustains all existence by the power of his word? Do we know the one who is so madly in love with his bride that he forsook the riches and the glory of heaven and came to the sin-sick world to save us by taking in himself the penalty and punishment for arson, the innocent one, the righteous one, for the guilty and the unrighteous? Do you and I know the one who broke the bounds of death by his resurrection, made a mockery of the grave, in so doing forever vindicated his name? Do we know the one who is seated at the right hand, who has told us he is coming again, and he's coming in judgment, full of majesty, and no one will be left standing when he comes. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do we know this one? Who calls us to follow him? Who challenges us to live all out for him? One of the greatest tragedies is when you have a group of Christians and they say they believe. And they say that they love the Savior. But if you spend enough time with them, you become familiar with them, you realize it's just cultural. It's just surface level. It's not really changing their lives or their actions. You want to know if you're Orthodox? Orthodox? look at your orthopraxy do you live out the faith you proclaim and so Jesus challenges us tonight with the danger of familiarity with him and he invites us to come to know him one of the most terrifying thoughts for any preacher and for any church is if Jesus left us to ourselves so let's go to him in prayer and let's ask him Sunday by Sunday, day by day, to show us more of himself. Lord Jesus, there is truly no one like you. You are the wondrous mystery. You, the perfect son of man, would live in our place, die in our place, never have any trace of sin. You would come to save us, the hell-bound men and women of this world. You would stand in our stead You would hang in victory as a lamb upon the cross, fulfilling all that your Father and you planned. Jesus, we we come to you this evening and, and, and we want to learn how to stare you down, to see you for who you are. We pray that we would never domesticate you. We pray that we'd never become so familiar and comfortable with you, that we treat you casually, flippantly, Keep us from saying one thing and doing another. Keep us from having hearts, for having mouths that engage in the act of worship, but hearts that are far from you. Keep us from this hypocrisy. Jesus, as we look around our city, we are conscious that there's many a church that stands as a monument to what once was and to what today is no more. Jesus, make us a people who, who truly go and, and live in light of who you are. We would pray that you would never feel restrained by the unbelief or the overfamiliarity of us, but that you would delight to pour forth your Spirit on us, your people in this place, and to use us as instrument in your hands for the advancement of your kingdom. We pray this in your glorious and your precious name. Amen.